spiritual discipline tonight is on confession. Uh, last week we talked about spiritual friendships and one of the best ways to be able to have a spiritual friendship is through the discipline of confession. Uh, we all know this passage here from James 5 um, that talks about confessing our sins to one another. Um, and I, there's a great quote by a guy named Thomas Akempis about this idea of getting deep in our relationships with one another and how it does require, uh, it requires depth and it requires authenticity. Um, Thomas Akempis says in The Imitation of Christ, he who only resisteth, resisteth outwardly and pulleth not up by the root shall profit little. Nay, rather, temptation will return to him the more quickly and will be the more terrible. So basically, Kempis is saying if, if, if we just kind of are shallow, if we just kind of outwardly resist temptation, um, then, then, then actually that temptation is going to come back all the more worse. And so we've got to get deep. But one of the greatest difficulties of spiritual friendship um, is depth is how do we get deep? And I think all of us have been there, right, at a, when you finish maybe a discipling group or a coffee time, and in my case, my wife may ask how it went, and I might say, it was okay, and I can't put my finger on it, but almost always it was okay because we were general and shallow, and how are the kids, how's sports, how's weather, how's this general thing I'm studying? But when you leave a D group, and it was like, that was amazing. It's almost always because somebody, or multiple, at least one person was authentic, specific, and vulnerable. Uh, and that's, that's a discipline that we have to learn because it is so easy not to, not to do that. And we all face temptation. If we all face temptation, we've got to learn to confess. We've got to learn how to figure out how to confess in a, in a righteous way. Um, because like many disciplines, this is a discipline that's been, been twisted um, and, and, and manipulated. But I want to share a verse that's kind of a scary verse, but it's, it's in the Bible. So we got to read it. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 5. Uh, and so I'm just going to read straight from the slide. If you'd like to hop over there, that'd be great. But Acts chapter five is a, is, a, is a story about a couple of people, uh, a married couple who decided to have a bit of a sin pact. Um, and they're called Ananias and Sapphira. And in Acts 5, 1, it says, now a man named Ananias together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. It says also because a guy just before this named Barnabas sold his property and gave it all to the church also sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge. He kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said to Ananias, uh, or Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out to be buried beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church. I would think so. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. There's a lot here. This is not a passage about contribution. This is not a, a passage about confess your sins or die. Um, but but there, is, there is a lot here about 
basically why not just confess? And I can only look at really one aspect of this story tonight. But the question I ask myself when I read this is why not just confess? You're Ananias and Sapphira, you've sold the land. Apparently you decide to convey, hey, hey church, we're giving the, all the money that we got from the land, but you realize it's not quite all of it. You've kept back some for yourself. But why not just confess that Peter's there, he's confronting you, um, he's got them one-on-one, -on -one, which is I think the best way to also discipline children, get them away from their friends, right? So they can't get their story straight. Like, hold on, like what, what happened? What? But then the story is the same. They basically bought into this lie and they, they die. Now the text doesn't say that Peter killed them. The text doesn't say even that really God killed them. It just says when they heard that what they had done or been confronted, they died. And a great fear seized the entire church. And I thought there might be a couple of reasons why Ananias and Sapphira might not confess. Because it's easy to stand on our moral high ground and say, oh man, how could Ananias do that? Or how could Sapphira do that? But I think they're actually more similar to us than we may realize. You know, I think the first reason they might not confess is fear of exposure. A lot of times when we, we don't confess our sins is because we're afraid of exposure. And a lot of that issue has to deal with the way we view the church. We view the church as a lot of people who are, are better than we are. You know, a couple quotes here of what we might say to ourselves. Everyone is holier than me. Everyone's a, she's a better or a godlier mom than I am. How could I confess to her? She, she'll look down on me. He's more pure than I am. How could I confess my purity to him? He, he wouldn't, he's just so much better than me. He's, he's doing, he could never understand. What, and so basically all these kind of come down to what will they think of me when I confess? And maybe this is what hold Ananias and Sapphira back. You know, fear of exposure comes from those two sources, an improper view of the church and a concern to appear a way. An improper view of the church means that the church is not full of people who are perfect. We're people who are all struggling. We're all in the, in the current process of groaning and struggling to be like Christ. And I think when we, when we know that, some, or it helps us confess, but when we're kind of alone, we just begin to think everyone's better than me. They're holier. They'll never understand. I'll just keep my sin to myself. Or I'll, or I'll confess, but really generally. Um, we are all struggling to imitate Christ. You know, we're all struggling to be like Jesus. But I think at the heart of this struggle, of will, will they accept me? Maybe it's an embarrassing sin or something that's happening recurrently. If I confess, will I truly be forgiven? Will that person be like, man, dude, you've said this a hundred times. You've got to, you've got to stop. You, you, you did what? That's embarrassing. I've had people tell me things. I, I remember confessing something once as a leader of the church. Somebody told me, if you, if you struggle with that, or if you did that, you're a hypocrite. You should never lead a church. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, okay, maybe, um, is that right? Is that true? Am I not forgiven? And, and I, you know, there's, there's grace in that conversation. And, and you know, it's, I, I know that not everyone responds perfectly. And I've responded strangely to, to different sins at times. But I think all of us have confessed something and seen how somebody reacts. And then sometimes it makes us not want to continue to confess. I think that's real. I think that's, and it makes us afraid of, hold on, if I'm authentic, if I'm real, if I'm open, if I'm honest, will I be accepted? And that's, that's what, what maybe what Ananias and Sapphira were struggling with. The other thought is that they, could, uh, they thought they could get away with it. I think the other end of the spectrum is not, not if I confess, will I be accepted? It's who cares? Uh, at the end of the day, it's not that big of a deal. And even Peter kind of calls them on this, right? Um, and the heart of this is who cares what they think of me? Not what will they think of me, but who cares what they think of me? Um, actually should be probably been a question mark after that one. My bad. But who cares what they think of me? Maybe it's an exclamation too. But I think that the, the, 
the power of the verse that even that says in the very text there is you didn't just lie to, to men, you lied to God. And that's powerful, right? That's powerful because I think a lot of times we can think, oh, I'll just confess to God. I don't need to confess to people. Um, but then the fact that he lied to people, Peter says, you, what's going on? You, you lied to God when you lied to Peter just now. It's the same response that Jesus has when he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Saul was persecuting the church. And so there's something powerful about when we actually confess to each other, we're in a way, we're actually confessing to God. And so when we're general with each other or lying or, or shading the truth, we're, we're treating God like that. Uh, and maybe it's rationalization, right? At least I gave something uh, or perhaps no one will find out. All these things can go through our mind when we think about confession. Um, and, and I think the scariest part of this one and the one before is that if we don't confess, we begin to believe our own lies. We, and the lie being, if we don't confess for long enough, uh, I've, seen it, I've seen it many times, I felt it myself. If you don't confess for long enough, and then you finally maybe confess or someone confronts you, you have this weird paranoia about you. Like that everyone's talking about me or everyone's mad at me or I'm, I'm the worst and I know that I'm not the best disciple here and I know that everyone's better than me. And like no one thinks that, you know, but sometimes when we're, we, when we're in the dark too often, we just believe our own lies, the lies that everyone's a saint and we're a sinner or the lie that it doesn't matter. It's okay. At least I gave something. Who could blame me? Who could complain? But confession actually brings us into an honest connection with Jesus. You know, Jesus, a lot of times in the Bible, one of the things that is the most powerful or most convicting or the most brought up in sermons is Jesus, when he's praying in Gethsemane. Why is it that this scene is so powerful? And I think it's because the cross is so key to confession. Without the cross, confession is just like a psychologically therapeutic uh, maneuver. You know, it's, but the cross actually changes confession that, because c confession actually brings about a change in us. Why do we confess? Because confession brings healing. That's why it's crucial for repentance. You can't repent unless you confess. You cannot do it unless you confess. Because, and the thing that's so powerful about Gethsemane, about Jesus, is that in Gethsemane, Jesus confessed. He was honest. That's why this scene is so powerful to us. There was not a shred of pretense about Jesus. When he says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, God, take this cup away from me. Jesus was being authentic and open and vulnerable and honest even if it meant looking weak, even if it meant saying he was weak. There was no fakeness, no pretense. And in true confession, there is no fakeness or pretense in us. The beginning to authentic friendship with God and each other is confession. Confession puts an end to all that fake, shallow church stuff that it does nothing but drive everybody away. Confession is one of the only like things, I think, Confession and getting advice are probably the two most innately humble acts. When you confess, you are, it's one of the most direct lines to humility. When you ask advice, you, it's a direct line to humility. Um, and I think that there's power in that. Um, honesty leads to confession. Confession leads to healing. Healing leads to change. Why do we confess? Because it is honesty and it leads to healing. And it is in confession that we are reminded of things. We are reminded that we are in the darkness and that we have to come back into the light. We are reminded that our sin hurts God. We are reminded of his great desire to love us. You know, a lot of people think that the cross 
was all about like God got fed up all of our sin, just sent for it. No, the cross was not about God's reluctance to forgive. It was about God's desire to forgive. God wants to forgive us. God is eager to forgive us. And when we confess, we're reminded of that great desire to forgive. We're reminded that this is a lifelong journey of spiritual training, a lifelong journey of organic growth. We are reminded that we, if we are going to be in a deep and authentic community, if we're going to have true spiritual friendship, it is impossible, impossible without confession. It won't happen. It's an extracurricular activity. It's, it's a business convention. It's an expo. It's a, it's a spiritual expo. It's, there's nothing real and powerful in a group that does not confess. And church, if we've lost this, this discipline of confession, I think we've lost something powerful. And not because it's a, it's a psychological you know, uh, method to make us feel at peace or heal. No, because it brings us into a spiritual place of being reminded of the power of redemption, the power of the cross, the power of our sin, and the power of God's love, and it leads to true change. There's something incredible in, in, in confession. And as we close out, just a couple of verses on confession. Um, one powerful one, I think, if you're nervous, this one actually pops up in my head every time I don't want to confess. <laughs> it's, it's drilled in there. Um, whoever conceals their sin does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces finds mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm up for some mercy. Uh, and it's, it's, it's when we can confess and renounce our sin that we do find that mercy. Another one, great one, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a powerful one. All these verses that talk about confession talk about bringing healing, forgiveness, mercy, that, that confession begins in sorrow, but it ends in joy. And then finally, praise God that we are not, we are able, we're all, we're all priests for each other. We can all be a piece of God for each other. But there is one mediator, and it's Jesus Christ. So even if somebody says something, amen, it happens, right? Somebody blows your head off or somebody loses it. Or some, sometimes people just can't handle hearing certain sins. And they, they let you have it. Or, they, they, or, or worse, they say, hey, it's fine. Everyone does it. Um, that we have one mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. A couple of practicals. Um, you might want to jot these down for the breakout room, but a couple of practicals for the confessor. One, there's three, sorry, there's three things that are great that are needed for a great confession, for a, a biblical confession. And number one is an examination of conscience. Um, an examination, basically examine yourself. Be specific. I messed up last week, right? Is maybe not the most specific confession, right, ever, but I yelled at my kids. I was selfish. I was self-focused. I was prideful. I was insecure. I was lustful. I was greedy. These are, be specific. A general confession may save you from humiliation, but it will not ignite inner healing. The second thing is sorrow. Uh, sorrow here. Uh, the second thing is sorrow. Sorrow, by the way, is not an emotion. Okay. Okay. Second uh, Corinthians 7 talks about godly sorrow, worldly sorrow. Sorrow is not an emotion. It is a decision to be abhorred, to be indignant, to be blown away, to see that, oh my goodness, look what my sin has done to God. I am grieved at what I've done. Because it's just, we're not, you're not trying to get an emotional reaction every time you're trying to find sorrow. This is a discipline, which means you can't go to God. Every, you can't confess only when you feel the emotion of sorrow. 
And then finally, the determination to avoid sin. We must desire to be conquered and ruled by God. If we don't desire it, we need to desire to desire it. Is there a determination to, to change, to grow, to, 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 to change from here on out? And then finally, there's a nice little mnemonic device. If you're, ever in, if you're ever in a bind in a confession time as a confessor and you don't know what to say, just go hands, head, heart. Can't miss. But ha hands is what happened. Head is what was I thinking when it happened. And heart is what was I feeling when it happened. It does a pretty good job to triangulate a, a pretty specific confession. And it helps you to be able to, to stick to it. Uh, and to be and not just sometimes we're even at the mercy of our own our own uh, deceit if you will and then lastly practicals for the listener um it's true that not everybody can hear every confession right you're not pulling aside your five-year-old to, to confess your heart perhaps or, or certain things um, you can confess some things to your five-year-old like you know mommy overreacted just then or she was she lost her temper but it is important to be able to find people that you can feel like you can talk to, and that's okay. It doesn't have to be everybody, but I think you wanna give, I think give people the benefit of the doubt. But one, I think if we're a listener, let's keep the confidence. Somebody confesses something to you, nobody needs to know about that unless you ask the person, hey, is it okay if I run this by Jack? He has experience in this, and they may say, yeah, go ahead. But let's keep the confidence. The, the thing, you know what destroys the discipline of confession is gossip, and so, Let's not, let's not pull people's sin out of there and throw it around, even in the name of getting advice. You know, let's, be, let's, be, let's keep a confidence with people. And then two, let's be unflappable. If somebody says something or shares something, let's not overreact or bite their head off or go, oh my gosh, you did what? You know, I mean, it's, let's, say, let's, let's listen, but let's also be indignant. So there's a balance, a tension. We want to be indignant of, you know, you, you cannot keep doing that. It will destroy your marriage. You are a child of God. You're not, you've not been called into that life. Versus you can be indignant and unflappable, if you know what I mean. Uh, and so I can throw those up again real quick if people would like them, but um, I, I wrote them down in the question anyway. So snap a photo of this or write it down if you can. Um, but, uh, but basically, I want to give people a chance to confess tonight because it is on confession. So if you have something on your heart and you'd like to confess in your group tonight, please go first. Please say, hey, guys, I got to get something off my chest. Is that okay? And then you can actually practice head, hands, heart. And then everyone else can practice being a listener. But if nobody has anything, you don't have to do that. You know, you don't have to feel forced to do that, you know. But if, I wanted to give people that chance if they wanted to. But if, you, if no one wants to necessarily confess anything specific, the, the, the breakout question is, what usually stops you from confessing? Uh, which of the three practicals, um, examination of conscience, sorrow, determination to avoid sin, is most difficult for you? So just two questions, pretty straightforward. Um, Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.